Lord, would you, would you give us your spirit this morning? Let us simply have some moments sitting at your feet. Bless you, Lord. So, not this past week, but the week before, my mother texted me. Now, one of the things I really appreciate about my mother is that she is not a voluminous texter. And that's a bit of Anglican understatement. If a text from my mom appears on the screen on my phone, I say, ooh, I better look. Because they're few and far between, so they're usually there for a reason. They matter. So I looked, and she said simply, there is an active shooter on UNC's campus. Now, this is a school my brother and I went to, and she's in North Carolina. It's in North Carolina. It's quickly on the news there. So it turned out that in one of the chemistry buildings that abuts the, the lovely Southern Quad, which is this or beautiful uh, tree laden in Arboretum. The trees are all known, cared for, and labeled. The, the quad is so uh, beautiful that it's actually an Arboretum. And one of the buildings that is there on the quad, in one of those buildings, a graduate student in one of the physical sciences got upset with his mentor. He was part of a research group. Maybe some research went wrong. Maybe his program was going to end. Maybe some of the stuff he wrote, he felt like his mentor had taken away from him or whatever. I don't think we know. But he came in the building and shot and killed his mentor. The people all around, in the buildings around, had no idea what was going on. They knew that there was a shooter, but they didn't know that it was a particular one-on-one situation. So you find this in NPR a few days later. The last few days have been a grueling, emotional, and depleting period for Emmy Martin. Emmy Martin is the Daily Tar Heel editor-in-chief, and she had to helm an edition of the University of North Carolina's newspaper dedicated to the fatal shooting and the fear that gripped the campus on Monday. Once we got out of lockdown, we immediately started rethinking what our Wednesday paper would look like, Martin told NPR. The plan had been to run a football preview, but after a faculty member was shot and killed, allegedly by a graduate student, Martin said it was clear that angle was not the right tone. So she and her reporters sat in the journalism building late into the night trying to come up with how do we headline the newspaper tomorrow. They couldn't sort it out. So they gave up for the night, went back to their rooms. She then got on her phone and started catching up with all the texts that had come to her from family and friends. About 1 a.m., she said, oh, this is it. So she sent to her staff a text saying, send me the text that you've gotten. They took the cover of the paper the next day and simply put in in huge font working its way down to small font, just a running list of the texts that people had gotten. Now, I was going to read it to you. I was going to read it to you, but I couldn't get through it without choking up, even just getting ready for preaching this moment. And I thought for some of you, reading it to you, it's just going to be too gut-wrenching. You can look it up. It was on NPR. It's the Daily Tar Heel, the DTH, Wednesday. August 30th. So if you want to see it, it's power. It's incredibly powerful. If you want to see it, you can see it. 
I couldn't make it to read through it. I wouldn't be able to do it without, without getting choked up if I tried to read it to you guys now. The gut reaction that I had immediately after the I couldn't make it through this reaction was, wow, I love this church. Maybe those dots don't connect for you. What does barely making it through that have to do with loving this church? There's a lot about this church that's very, very lovable. There's a lot that we don't have. We're so small in many ways. We're sort of makeshift in many ways. There's so many things we need and I wish we had and we don't. How do you get from reading that gut punch that it was to I love this church? For me, friends, I wouldn't trade this little church for any church in the world. And that's the truth. I have a few of you, you know I'm doing this part-time degree at the Yale Divinity School, and I had a few of you say, well, I hope that's good for your professional advancement. I just want you to know I'm not doing this for professional advancement. You know why? I don't think there is any professional advancement for any Anglican priest in the U.S. I'm at the top. I certainly don't want to be a bishop. Seriously. There is no professional advancement for me. This is professional advancement. The simple thing is this. We have the opportunity. We have the opportunity to find and be found by and follow Jesus in the realities of the world in which we actually do live. And that is, alas, not a given in church life. You follow me there? We have that possibility. And that's why we say what we are doing here is trying to have a fresh encounter with the living Jesus Christ. We're simply trying to have a fresh encounter with the living Jesus. So the parish council has been, as you know, talking these past few months about who are we, what's the ethos that captures us, how do we put this into simple language. The bumper sticker size language for this is that we're connecting to God, community, and creation. We're people who are connecting to God, community, and creation. So today we just want to talk a little bit about that whole thing. And then in some upcoming weeks with a few good interruptions, we'll talk about each one. Connecting to God, connecting to community, connecting to creation. The basic thing this morning is that when we sat down to get our bumper sticker sized chorist of core language, we took the things we've always done in the past and we flipped it. We flipped it. In other words, other churches I've been in, the leading question has always been, how can we very succinctly express what makes us distinctive? How can we very succinctly say what makes us different? But what that means then is we're meeting the world around us already implicitly in confrontation because we're starting off on the ground of how we're different from you. We flipped it and we said, how do we meet the world around us in space that's common to everyone? So if you went to lunch with a colleague, Eric has talked about this, go to lunch with a colleague and they say, I heard you go to church. And you're like, yeah, I, I do. I go to church. And, and, you know, 
You're like, okay, I admit it. I go to church. And they say, why? You say, well, I, I want to connect to God, right? That's why we're here. I want the fact that I've connected to God to affect the way I connect to others. I want it to change and shape the way I affect to So why did we flip it? The very simplest reason why we flipped it is this. Because we follow the incarnate God. If God in the person of Jesus Christ incarnated himself in order that he might know our griefs and bear our sorrows, that he might suffer incredible trauma himself in order to pull us into himself and bring us through anything, then it's really simple math, isn't it? If we follow the God who did that, then we simply want to, well, actually follow. So if he goes out of his way to get on common ground, then we go out of our way to get on common ground. And so our core language is about getting on common ground and connecting. We flipped it because the people to whom the front page, the cover of the Daily Tar Hill on the 30th of August, the ones who felt it as a gut punch, we want them to know what God's great love for them feels like. Coming in and balancing that gut punch and getting into it and moving it aside, not taking away the reality, not denying it, but overcoming it. So this morning we heard one of my favorite Bible stories, Paul in Athens. And we're going to walk through it simply and quickly. It's a story. It's a little long. We're just going to move along with it. Paul goes to Athens. And as he gets there, this is one of my favorite things about Paul. I love to do this. Do you love to do this? I love to go to some other city and just walk around. Take me to the city center, get off the metro, and just walk around and just see stuff. And I don't, don't give me a map. Do not give me anybody's list of the things you have to see. And least of all, give me a tour guide. I just want to be free. I just want to walk around and catch the ethos. So Paul goes to Athens, and he's walking around. And he's got incredible passion. And he cares. And he starts entering into their world. And he's looking. So he starts talking with them. He starts talking to the ones who shape their thinking about what is real, what makes life good, what the story is. And they listen to him, but they also, some of them go, wow, this guy is out there. Like, wow, he, he, what is he saying? Why? Because what Paul is saying to them is that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. He's proclaiming the resurrection from the dead, that there is hope. And then, in the tiniest little moment, they say they took Paul and brought him to the Areopagus. They took him and brought him. That is incredible understatement. If you go into a different culture and you walk around and learn things about them and you've only got that much that you know about them and then you go and start talking to their thought leaders and they respect you and hear you so much that they invite you to their number one forum, that is huge. 
the tiny little phrase that, that, that needs like, you know, bolding and red and exclamation points. Paul has already won their trust, this amazing thing. So they say, can we know this stuff you're teaching? For you're bringing some surprising things to our ears. And then there's this parenthetical note. All the they stop it. You're all so silly. You're ridiculous. Some of your ideas are crazy. Get out there and get something done for a change. You don't do anything like that at all. Paul gives them a master class, or Paul gives us a master class on how to interact with folks in the world. He stood before them, he said, you know, I see that you're very religious. I see you, I know you, I see that your hearts, I see where they are. I went around and I observed all this stuff that you have. I even found an altar with an inscription to an unknown God. Common ground, connecting. You say you have an unknown God, so instead of Paul showing up and saying, you got all these gods, they're all stupid. He says, I see you have an altar to an unknown God. I'm gonna tell you who he is. Common ground, common space. The God who made the world and everything in it. Athenian friends, let's connect to creation. Let's connect to God because he made me and he made you, and that is the most fundamental common ground that there is. The Lord of heaven and earth, he's God. He's big. He doesn't live in temples made by human hands. He's not served by human hands as if he needs anything. The energy, the life, inexhaustible at the core of all that is. He himself gives life and breath to everything and everyone, or and everything to everyone. Common ground, the creation, the God who loves you, the God who loves me, the great family of human beings. God is close. From one man, he made every nation. We all are the same family to inhabit the entire earth, determining their set times, the fixed limits, the places. There's a big story. And you're part of that big story. And God is with you in that big story. And your life matters. And whatever your language and whatever your people and however you've come here and whatever you believe, God knows you. And he has been and is with you and close to you. It's a master class. I love what Paul does with this. Such beautiful, true, wonderful things. Why did God do this? Because he loves you. So that they would search for God and perhaps grope around for him and find him. God in his love has done this in the hopes that people would find him. Though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. And then Paul makes an even bigger wonderful connecting move as some of your own poets have said. Now, if you're a poet, if you're a poet in our culture, it's tough to get respect, right? I think we have one published poet on the grounds. Published poet, raise your paw. There he is. We, have one, we actually have a published poet, but I mean, that, having one is a big deal, isn't it? Right? Like, how many published poets do you know? In our case, songwriters. Songwriters, yeah, they, they, they make it. We have, we have one of those two, and maybe more than one. We have two of those at least. So songwriters make it. But in many cultures in the world, if you insult their poets, ooh, like, don't do it. Like, it, it won't go well for you. Middle Eastern cultures, poets are a big deal. 
Persian culture, poets. They're, they're, they're huge. And Paul says, one of your own poets has said something true that I agree with, that I stand on common ground with you about. We too are his offspring, connecting. Since we are God's offspring, since we all agree about that, we should not think the deity is like gold or silver or stone. So Paul just, just washed away the whole idea of idolatry, and he did it by saying, we all know better than this, guys. Common ground. He does it in the most positive kind of come with me as we move past this kind of a way. And now, and only now, does Paul begin to speak about the things where they haven't yet agreed. Brilliant. It's so brilliant. Therefore, although God has overlooked such times of ignorance, he now commands all people everywhere to repent. Okay, when we use the word repent, we get uptight, but it's in the Greek, it's the word that means get a new meta narrative, get a new story of everything. That's actually what the word breaks down to in Greek. So it means change your story. Change your story of who you are, of who God is, of where God has been and what God has done and whether your life matters and what the future holds. Because he has set a day on which he's going to judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he designated, God's worked a story. Is it not random? Is it not arbitrary? He didn't zap one person and not others. This is the culmination of a plan that God has had and worked a long story having provided proof to everyone. This didn't happen in secret. This is public by raising him from the dead. So, Paul proclaims the resurrection of Jesus. That's where he meets these folks. When they heard about the resurrection from the dead, some began to scoff, but others said, we will hear you again on this. So Paul left, others joined and believed. Among them were Dionysius, who was a member of the Areopagus, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. The women in the early church who responded as well. Friends, the heart of our flipping it. I keep saying what Paul did was brilliant, and I'm realizing that's true, but that's not actually the real point. The point is he loved them, right? point is he went into that city and he saw what they were about and he loved them rather than judging them or criticizing them. So he tells them the truth. He tells them that Jesus is different. He tells them that Jesus is unique and there's nobody else like it and Jesus is the man that God has appointed and led to this. But it's love that leads Paul to connect with them. And it's his awareness of God's great love for everyone. So we're simply trying to be honest about what we're doing here. We're trying to be able to simply share this in very common, simple ways with people. To connect with God. To deeply inside know that we are loved by God and to love him back. To love him. To connect with community, which means us, yes, and everybody or anybody, to do it intentionally because Jesus has intentionally crossed barriers to love us. We want to intentionally cross barriers that otherwise wouldn't naturally be crossed. Not easy. It'll take sacrifice and intentionality. It won't happen without that. 
We want that connection then to also shape the way we connect with creation, the artistry of God, the context in which he has placed us and of which we too are a part. We're people, friends, who simply have had and are having a fresh encounter with the living Jesus. Paul says this in one of his Corinthian letters. When one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. The Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Friends, let's pray. invite you in your spirit simply to say, I am, I am here, Lord, your servant listens. And simply say, I'm yours, Lord.